Hi, and welcome to Selling the Skirt with Judy Hoberman. I'm Judy, and for those of you that have been with me before, welcome back, and for those of you that are new, welcome. So excited to have you here. So Selling in a Skirt is all about connection and community and creating relationships. It's about encouraging men to champion with and for women, but it's also about empowering professional women. What I love most about all of this are the amazing men and women that I get to bring into the circle. And I love to hear about their journey, why they do what they do, and how they're doing it, and why they're so successful about it. Well, today it's, well, today is going to be awesome because it is my extreme pleasure and honor to introduce you to my guest, Don Taylor, aka The Colonel, who also aka is my husband. And, you know, so it's funny because when I say The Colonel, most of my friends don't even know what his name is. So, you know, that's funny. But anyway, he's the director of the Alliance for Physician Leadership, and he's also a professor at the Jindal School of Management at UT Dallas some pretty major titles, all majorly different, and we're gonna talk about all of them. So I'm gonna let Don tell you a little bit more about himself, and I'm gonna welcome him. So welcome, Don, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Judy. I know we talk often, this feels a little bit like our island at home in the kitchen <laughs> when we're sharing thoughts. So I know. thanks I for this opportunity, and I, I mean, just the idea to share a few things, because you know, and people who know us know, we're a little bit of a power couple, and in debt we have intense thoughts, and we're deeply passionate about what we do. Um, but yes, I, you know, I've had an interesting journey, military for 27 years, all in healthcare. Um, wandered around a little bit afterwards in companies and engineering and consulting, uh, veterans administration, state organizations, med schools. But I really found a place I love right now in teaching. Yeah, and it shows because not only do your students love you, they learn from you. And when your class is actually put out to you know register, it's done in a second. So that speaks volumes about you. <clears throat> and everything you do and everything you live by is about being a servant leader. Now, before I met you, I had moved here and um, everybody that I met introduced themselves as a servant leader. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And after the third or fourth person, I said, well, what is a servant leader? And she looked at me, she said, you don't know what a servant leader is? And she starts to lecture me about that. And I went, oh, that's what I do every single day. I didn't know it had a title. And so she just, you know, she backed up a bit. So, so in your words, what is a servant leader and how do you become one? I think servant leadership is is a little bit different than maybe the context or what most people think about subordinate. Are you subordinate yourself to others? I think it's servant is you serve not only the mission of the organization, the purpose of the organization, but you also serve those you lead. And you do that in a way not to uh, not to undermine them or uh, or passively subordinate yourself to their needs. What you do is encourage and incentivize them and guide them and, and actually encourage them to get excited and passionate about what you do and share a vision in their language. So servant leadership to me is about understanding their needs, facilitating those needs, and serving that when needed, when needed to help them achieve their own, not only their individual goals, but the mission of the organization as well. So do you have to go to school to be a servant leader? Because how do you become one? <laughs> I think the best way I learned was being a parent at one time. Um, but 
I'm finding uh, what I do today to help me in that role as well, because a lot of my job today is to help others achieve their aspirations. And through that is inferred leadership. But that was established. So I've had, a, you know, been around a, a couple of years in healthcare, and I have credibility in that space. So they listen. They listen in a different way. But when you talked about the class that fills, part of my job is to help them in their leadership journey as well. And they're undergrads. They're all preclinical, wanting to become some caregiver in the healthcare space. And so I teach them about the U.S. healthcare system, but I teach them about life. Mm-hmm. I help them understand what their purpose is, why they want to do this, and challenge them on that through the semester. That seems to resonate. And as you said, it's a pretty popular class. It I love is. It. Okay, but you also are teaching physicians who are not young you know, students coming out and going to start their own world and whatever. You're teaching physicians who have a lot of experience. How are they? Are they missing the mark about being a servant leader? Or are you just unfolding it so they can see what it really means because they're you know being a physician is is so important but sometimes physicians don't have that quality because they're always either behind a book or behind a computer or in an operating room with their head down so how do you get them to become a servant leader well in in the program uh that that i'm fortunate to have inherited in the last year or so at ut dallas were very popular because we really encourage physicians to understand their own leadership potential physicians know through no no fault of their own, have been educated and have been developed to become experts in their clinical clinical realm, whether that be surgery or medicine or pediatrics or primary care, but they've been in that narrow lane most of their, their clinical careers. As they mature, as they go through a system longer, they're finding a need for leadership skills that some of us have been exposed to earlier in our lives or earlier in our transition or in our professional development. Physicians find that they can succeed without that um, because they have clinically achieved, they've become clinical experts, they have achieved professional recognition. The assumption is they can lead. Right. And they find themselves in a very difficult space sometimes having that well of emotional intelligence, that well of knowledge and leadership, and how to develop and nurture that. Yeah, and I would say that some of them, when they are exposed to what leadership actually means, well, I'm sure some of them don't really think they're a leader, but when, they, when they're exposed to it and they see this quality that is so important, I'm sure they start to own it as well. Quickly, and, yeah. and quicker than you would expect. Yeah. They're incredibly smart, engaged, passionate people. They, they live life with a purpose. So that's a natural benefit right. to them. Right. They also have the intelligence to grasp concepts quickly. So they move into this whole universe now of leadership and personal growth that that has been usually not introduced to them earlier in their careers. And we're finding the team, the great faculty I work with there, and the program to include, by the way, the clients as I call them in the classroom, because they teach each other. Right. It's really, really rewarding, and I'm finding it the right thing to do. Well, you found your passion and your purpose without even knowing you were finding your passion and your purpose. And I think that's, you know, sometimes we don't know what's right in front of us. No, and, you know, I think that there is a path that's sort of 
You know, we, it, destiny takes you takes where you're, you're supposed, supposed to be. To, yeah. And choices are, are offered that you go, I know I must do this. And we've all been in places we shouldn't be. Absolutely. I mean, the gut tells you that. You've been there. I know that. Yeah, and you've I've been there. Been there. You've seen me through some of that as well. <laughs> but when you say destiny and everything, I think that possibly meeting me um, was destiny because through me, you met others who I took did. you where you are. I did. I, okay. I mean, I would have never been teaching if it weren't for Judy because <laughs> yeah. she, I was sort of in my military mindset and I was well, not too comfortable being public or being, or even had the confidence because I don't have the education. I just have decades of experience. And I didn't realize I had so much leadership experience that could be shared, particularly in the healthcare space. What I did have was a passion. And so Judy introduced me to not only myself, uh, but through opportunities to kind of expand um, my, my, my passion, my opportunities, and also just my confidence to do those things. Well, you had to get out of your own way because you had to get out of your comfort right. zone. So, yeah. yeah. So, which brings me to an interesting twist on this because many leaders are not able to share the spotlight with someone. You know, they have to be the center of attention at all times. And if somebody is, you know, borrowing that or sharing that, they just can't, they can't do it. And, you know, I've recently had that kind of experience and it was very uncomfortable because I was okay being the backup dancer and the other person was not. She did not want to share the space. So how important is it as a leader to also be a follower? Well, they're one and the same. I don't care where you are in leadership, you're following something. Mm -hmm. And even if you're the CEO, you're following customers and clients, or you're following a board, you're following shareholders. Nobody, nobody in leadership is, is excused from a followership mindset. You have to follow the needs and will of the people. So I believe followership is just as important. And it, you don't have to subordinate yourself. You don't have to diminish yourself. What you do is understand my role at this time. I also believe in leadership. You move roles. Sometimes you are the follower. Sometimes you are the leader. Yeah. And from within an organization, you can lead. You can lead by following diligently. You can lead by following, but following with guidance and advice. You can encourage and incentivize other levels of the organization. What, what people don't realize, and even when we're working with physicians, is you're always being watched. Someone is always watching. Always. And so <laughs> even in a followership role, standing true to your own values, standing true to your ethics. We just recently had an exercise where we asked them to identify their own values through a personal leadership plan and to frankly provide three affirmation actions for each of those values throughout their life. It was a big exercise for many of them because so many said, I've never done this before. Right. And through that, you demonstrate followership because you're following your own right. lead. You're following that of the organization and you're incentivizing how to live within the values of the organization you serve. Who, by the way, serve our customers and our patients. Right. That's real important. Right. And I think that it, it takes a different kind of leader that can take the role of a follower because what you're also doing is you're encouraging them to be more of a leader. So it's, you know, it's all like a, a, a cycle. It, it is. In the followership role, people get that so confused about, oh, well, I'm just following. Well, following is so powerful. Yeah. And it shows humility. It shows you are genuine and you're authentic. It also allows you to communicate, to listen, to translate into effect in a different way. 
and you can in fact support that of the appointed leader at that moment exactly. through rigid, diligent, honest followership. Right. And so when we do things together, we both have to know which part is the leading and which is the following. <laughs> yeah, even in dancing. Yes, even in dancing. Okay, so the physicians program that you're doing, all of the physicians are leaders in their own right. They truly, truly are. Yes. And you know that I'm going to move this to my favorite topic, which happens to be women. You know this. So in your program, you do have both male and female physicians, Man. and they're all leaders. So do you find that <laughs> there's different pieces of the program that women take more interest in? or are um, bringing more value to the table? Um, they, they all are equally prepared and equally have that, that physician journey. However, I will say um, the physician universe is not exempt from some of the uh, challenges that women have had mm -hmm. through other industries, right. uh, particularly in subspecialties. You can get there. The surgical subspecialties are very male-dominated uh, primarily. You can subspecialize that further into orthopedics and urology. But women still have that path. I hear today women go, you know, it's interesting. I'm in the class. I'm in the boardroom. And when they address a male, it's Dr. Smith. When they address me, it's Betty. Yeah. And <clears throat> they say they feel a little diminished. And a little disrespected in that process. And I believe there's opportunity for women to understand where they fit in the physician space. Interestingly enough, um, my generation, women physicians were rare. Uh, they were less in numbers. And there's just now a few arriving into the senior leadership roles. Today in med school, the majority of students are female. Hmm. Um, but yet they have challenges they move throughout their career. Wait, stop. You just said something really interesting. Why are there more women in med school today than men? I can't tell you why. I can just tell you the facts are there are many more. Huh. They're also much more diversified than we've had in the past. And I think women naturally follow into this nurturing role with higher empathy and higher emotional needs, and they want to serve. At least the students I talk to have deep, deep passion to care about others, to care for others. Mm -hmm. A little exercise I do with my undergrad students. Um, I'm, I'm unique in that I teach not necessarily from the textbook entirely. I don't allow technology in the classroom because I don't believe you can multitask. You're either paying attention to me or not. So there's no phones, no computers, no laptops, just a pad of paper and a pen and me. And the first day of class, I ask them to write a handwrite, which is a challenge in itself. First of yep, all, sure. handwrite, but they have to handwrite a half page why I choose to serve others in healthcare. And I have hundreds of these stories and they all have these moments in their life where they, this switch, there's a, an instant when they went, I must do this. And they range and they can recall them from early childhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I read some to my senior physician class and you go, do you remember that moment? And some forgot. Yeah, I'm and sure. And so I want them to remember what that what started driving them into that purpose. Okay, so let's stick with women just for a moment. One mm -hmm. more moment. <clears throat> I talk about the lonely leader, and those are usually the women that have reached a certain level, and they either don't have a confidant, or they don't know who to trust, or they don't have somebody that doesn't feel like they have a hidden agenda, whatever whatever that might be. And 
when they get to this level in their career, they're not sure which way to go. They love what they do, but there's something missing. Do you think that um, women physicians also have that struggle? Because I hear it in a lot of industries, but you know, as far as women physicians, I haven't had you know a moment to sit with them, which I'm looking forward to next year to doing that. Mm -hmm. They they do have the struggle, but first of all, as I said, there are fewer numbers in the what I call the more senior or right. maybe in the boomer generation. There's just fewer numbers. Um, and as many of those have risen in the organization through just inferred leadership, remember in, in the medical space, tenure counts right. um, in a leadership selection or a leadership expectation. As many rise further in the organization, they find themselves by themselves. They are there alone. They have some of the baggage of their journey. Right. And they look around and there's no one they can trust to share it with. Now, that is the same for most senior leaders um, because you don't have a space. You don't have a safe place. This is what's unique about our program is that these, you know, the, the physicians in our program have their average age is like 46, 47 years old. They've been in the they're in the transition point to leadership in their careers. They're still babies. <laughs> yeah. 46, 47, still babies. According to yeah. our okay. standard, yes, they are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, we've got children almost there. So yes, but the point is they are just now beginning to realize this, this rapid change. And as they move into this space, there's no one to trust. Our classroom is a safe place. That is what's unique about our program is that I protect that classroom at all costs. It is a place of safety, transparency, vulnerability, and physicians never have that. Confidentiality. Confidentiality. Competitors can speak openly in the room. Now take that further with women. Even women in the classroom sometimes are hesitant to speak up because they have been cultured not to speak up. And we are encouraging to do it. Do I think there needs to be a space? Absolutely. And I think women physicians are different because they have created this journey with a deep purpose and a deep passion and empathy to care for others. And that has been suppressed a bit. And I believe now they're in a space where they need to be transparent. They need to express their needs so they can take and move that into the healthcare. And we desperately need women and their mindset in leadership in healthcare because we've lost that caring element. We've lost that empathy and that higher level of emotional intelligence. Women bring that. Mm -hmm. You're written in your last book. Women bring that, and I think we need them at the table. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes women don't know where to find that, and not everybody's involved in your program. And, and in many industries, there are women that are in this space that are thinking, like, you know, what, who do I talk to? What do I do next? So, yes, so right. we are creating that. And they, they just don't know where to go. Right. And I think there's an opportunity for them to share amongst themselves lessons. Yeah. And that's that's healthy. Just being able to talk. I learned that from my military days. You know, the best remedy for traumatic experiences is just to talk about it. Right. Is to share it and have someone genuinely listen. Right. But most people are said, don't talk about it. Just put yeah. it in just a box. suppress it. Yes. Go hide it. <laughs> put it away. Don't, just ignore it. Get over it. Yeah. Well, no. Getting yeah. over it's not well because the healthy, the healthy way to, to do this is to talk about it. Deal with it and then help others in the next phase of your, of your leadership journey. I'm right. all about giving back. Right, because there's, there's always somebody that's gonna come behind you that's gonna have that same struggle 
And, yep. and you can say, when I went through it, here's some of the things that I did. Yes. You know. Okay, so I've read many articles recently, and they're saying to stop talking about the soft skills. I don't know if they think that people already know them or they don't think they're important. I'm not sure what it is, but we all know that some of the best qualities are the softer skills. And it's not just for women. You know, men do really well with the soft skills. What are your thoughts? And do you think that um, soft skills are, you were just talking about being empathetic and, you know, EQ and all of that. Do you think that those are important enough to continue talking about them to leaders? Oh, absolutely. Because we're, we're in a unique point in history in a post-pandemic world where we seem to have lost that kindness mm -hmm. and caring element in our society as a whole. Um, <clears throat> healthcare is not exempt from that. There's been a rapid kind of a knee-jerk response to try to restore some of the revenue potential that was lost during the pandemic. And in the midst of that, people have been kind of run over and they're voting. You can see that with nursing and some people call it quiet quitting. Some of it's loud quitting. <laughs> they're just walking. And I am now reading too where physicians are beginning to demand life balance. They want to have a personal life mm -hmm. and even residents and those in training and med schools are now expressing a need to have less demand because they want to have a life outside of the training platform. So I do believe there's a need for that. Um, but I also think we have to help and particularly with the physicians help with the ideal of listening and which I think is incredibly important in, in the leadership space but listening differently, listening empathetically, communicating at all levels. As I talked to our physicians, I said, you have to be able to walk you know, out of a boardroom where you just had a debate or a healthy discussion with a neurosurgeon and walk into the hallway and encourage a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. You have to have that ability to communicate and listen and have them both feel valued. Right. And we didn't do that well. We didn't do that well in the pandemic. We celebrated frontline heroes. We wore them down. The strategy was keep using them. Well, they burned out. And so these heroics that we find in medicine are not sustainable. And it's kind of where we are in healthcare in general. But we didn't celebrate the housekeepers that serve food to COVID patients. We didn't celebrate the respiratory therapists or the, all the assistants that were in there helping a dietitian's nutrition who were at the same level of risk as the clinical professionals but we didn't celebrate them. Mm, good point. And we have to have that in the mindset of the physician leader to say, my team is very large and I have to be able to encourage and develop the team as a whole. Mm, good point. Yeah, you know, it's hard to imagine that the dietitians and, you know, the housekeepers were not considered frontline workers. They were essential, but they weren't considered. Yeah. So that's a really good point. And I hope that everybody is you know, getting that. Um, so what's your number one piece of advice for leaders, both male and female? Number one piece, <laughs> engage. Don't sit back, do something. You, you, you know, we all care about things. I know what you care about. You know what I care about. And they overlap in some ways. Uh, and we constantly talk about those. I mean, if, if you all can imagine, we have very interesting discussions at home, <laughs> sometimes intense. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're not wallflowers and we, we have, we're passionate about what we do and we don't retire well. Let me just say that either. Um, so what would I say? Engage, okay. do something, give back. I, I'm finding I can't stop doing what I do 
Um, I'm not at that point. And giving back to me is the most important thing you do. And I'm hoping to teach physicians who graduate from our program that unique skill to give back and mentor and coach junior physicians. That's the next phase of our community of alumni of our program because uh, we want to be a full spectrum for physician leadership. And I just say, stay engaged, stay engaged, yeah. listen well, empathize, care. Yeah. And I, I do believe that the most important thing that we have is our, it's our responsibility to make sure we're, you know, that the next level, the next generation of leaders is prepared because I don't think that many of us were prepared to be leaders. No. So. And they're prepared for a different world. Yeah. Because the things we're preparing them for, it's not. Right. Not, not what we were working in. Well, it's I mean, much it, different. It could be the same thing our grandparents told us, you know, in their world, it was much right. different. They walked uphill both ways, you know. Um, so my big question for you is what do you still want to accomplish? Oh, I love what I'm doing today, but really what, I want to accomplish is something you and I do together. That's really what I want to do. We have to do something together. And I think there's something in this space where you and I both complement each other and can help others grow. We need to do something together. Well, we already have a logo, the Colonel in the skirt. I know, I know. <laughs> but I think we should be we should be doing some co coaching along the gender lines and helping in a space where people have to, uh, where they care and where there's high levels of empathy and emotional intelligence. We need to do something together. That's, that's the, when we're there, then we can talk about a retirement somewhere. Yeah. 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 It, but it, you know, it, it is a big space and it is something that's definitely needed. And we both have two different points of view, but we also have the commonality of what's so important and what it is about the giving back and, you know, being empathetic. So, okay. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. Okay. We have so, very, we share values. Our values are do. absolutely aligned. Absolutely. And I yep. love you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. So um, there are going to be our, some listeners that are definitely going to want to know more about you, maybe the programs, and they want to connect with you. What's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, first is LinkedIn's easy. Mm -hmm. It's uh, www.donald-taylor.com and you get right to my LinkedIn site. Uh, you can reach out to me at UT Dallas and find me there. Or just, uh, you can email me at home at dontaylortx at gmail.com. Or you can always find me through Judy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's true. Just send her an email. And she'll know where to send it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been, you know, we don't get to have these conversations, you know, no. that often. We don't. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got an extremely busy day. And I just want to thank you. And, you know, it's it's been a pleasure having you as my guest. You know, I do this all the time. And... And I don't always have you, so. Thank you. Love you. Love you, too. <laughs> and I look forward to our next guest. And we're going to not tell you who they are. We're going to surprise you again. And I wish everybody a, a wonderful day, a wonderful weekend, a wonderful holiday season. And um, thanks for being with us. And we'll see you next time.